Heavenly Father, we do indeed come before you this morning and ask for your blessing upon this time. Lord, we pray that you may help me to speak clearly from your word. We pray that what I say may be helpful to those who are gathered here this morning. And we pray that we may become more like your son, Jesus Christ, as a result of hearing from your word this morning. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may be working amongst us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, I think (coughs) I've got a... Thank you, Steve. If you can go grab me a drink of water, that'd be lovely. (coughs) And we'll edit that out of the recording, won't we, Luke? All right. (coughs) Do you ever feel that you lack communication skills or your communication skills are rather poor? Sometimes you might feel that you just simply struggle to be clear in what you say. Sometimes I really feel like I'm hitting a brick wall with some people when I try to explain things to them, and particularly when I try to explain to them about the Christian faith, what it is to be a believer, and how you get salvation. Even in a recent week, uh, two weeks ago, I was speaking to a non-Christian and trying to explain to them what it is to be justified by faith alone to become a Christian. That if you simply trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And I showed this person who affirms that the Bible is indeed a true account of what we should do as people on this earth, and I showed him many parts of the Bible that speak quite clearly that it is by faith alone that we are saved. And he looked at it and said, yes, that is plain. Yes, I think that what you're saying is true in that part of the Bible. But then said, but I still don't understand how it can be by faith alone. That if I simply trust in Jesus, then I am saved. And he said, it's just too easy. I can't think that that is the way we are saved. And I said to him, well, if it's so easy, why don't you do it? Why don't you just simply trust in Jesus Christ as your saviour? If it's so easy, do it. But he couldn't do it, which illustrates that it is not easy to humble ourselves completely before God and say, I am a wretched sinner and there is nothing that I can do for my salvation. And it has to be by you, O God, and by me trusting in Jesus Christ that I am saved. And so that may be your experience as well. That when you try to communicate with people, not just the gospel but other things, that it is difficult And so you lack the communication skills that you want to be able to get the message across to others. Well, we've been looking at a message given in 1 Peter, a book in the Bible, by the Apostle Peter, surprisingly enough, 1 Peter, written by Peter. And we've been looking at his message and what he has to say. And last time I spoke, we looked at chapter 5, verse 12. We worked our way slowly through the whole book, and we came to chapter 5, verse 12, and we saw what the whole message of Peter was about. If you've got a church Bible there, it's found on page 1203, 1203. <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 12, and we saw there the message that he has in this book. He sums it up with, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. We see there, in that last part of the sentence, what 1 Peter is all about. What is it about? It's about encouraging 
brothers and sisters in Christ, and testifying that this is the true grace of God and calling for them to respond by standing fast in God's grace. And we looked at that last time and I looked at what it means to encourage people who are suffering. I looked at what it means to testify to the grace of God. What is the grace of God that Peter is talking about? Well, it's of course that God graciously forgives us our sins through Jesus' work at the cross. Peter has spoken quite clearly in this book about how Jesus' work at the cross pays for our sins. And so I looked at that, and now we need to then stand fast in it. As he says at the end of that verse, he says in that last sentence, stand fast in it, that we need to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus' death for our salvation. And so if you're not a Christian, I want you to understand that this is what the Bible is all about, not just one Peter. The whole Bible is about encouraging Christians to stay firm in the faith and to stand fast in God's grace even when they suffer, and encourage people who are unbelievers to stand in God's grace as well. If you have never repented of your sins, said sorry to God that you're a sinner, and trusted that Jesus Christ died for you, then you are in a serious situation. God's wrath is against you because of your sin. And so you need to turn from your sin, say sorry to God, and trust that Jesus Christ died for you. If you do that, then you stand in the grace of God. And it is a wonderful place to be standing because God is indeed a very gracious God. He forgives you your sins and he takes you when you die to be with him forever in heaven. And so if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to do that this morning. Do what Peter says here there. Stand fast in the grace of God. Don't stand in your own works, your own righteousness, because our, own, our, our works are always tainted with sin. We always do things wrong and our sin can never be made up for by the good that we do. Stand not on your own works, but stand on God's grace. That was what I talked about last time. This morning I want to look at how did Peter actually achieve his purpose. He wrote this letter. That was his purpose. He wanted to encourage people. He wanted to testify to the true grace of God and get people to stand in it. But how did he bring that purpose into fulfillment? I mean, it's a difficult thing to do. Have you ever tried to encourage people? Have you ever tried to testify to the grace of God? It's hard work at times. And so how did Peter bring this about? And he actually gives us some clues as to how he did it. And that brings me to my first main point this morning. If you've got a church bulletin there, you can see my main points on the back there and follow along. And my first main point this morning is the purpose of the letter was achieved by being brief. Which is an interesting thing uh, to note. And we see that in verse 12, that same verse that I preached on last time. I'm looking at this week. What does verse 12 tell us about how he achieved his purpose? And we see in verse 12, we see, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Peter actually points out that his letter is brief. And when we consider communication, when we want to communicate effectively with someone, we've got to admit that no one really likes lengthy communication from others. With needless statements and endless repetition, and even in writing, people don't like that either. If you get a really long letter... Sometimes, unless it's from someone that you really care about or a matter that's really important to you, you will find that it is hard to read 
And if you write a long letter, it is hard to write. It, it goes on and on and on. They're tiresome to write lengthy letters and tiresome to read. What is better thing to do is to pack your information into a letter or into a verbal communication with someone, pack it in, keep it succinct, don't go on repeating yourself endlessly, and get that information across before people go to sleep. Make sure that you are brief and succinct as you possibly can be. And I think Peter did that. He notes that he was brief here in verse 12, and when we consider his letter, it is indeed a brief letter. All up, it takes 14 minutes to read aloud. That's read aloud. If you can read faster than, uh, if you can read silently faster than that, which most people can, you can actually get through the letter a lot faster than that. But if you listen to a recording of it, it takes 14 minutes, which isn't very long at all. Which means Peter has packed a lot of information into a small amount of space. And it is indeed a lot of information because when we consider that I've taken over a year of sermons to unpack what Peter has written in this letter. Um, and so we can see that he was very careful about what he included and how he included it and made sure that it was brief and simple then for us to read quickly over. You can read it the, this afternoon if you want to get the whole message of 1 Peter again and see whether he really is someone that did encourage and testify to God's grace. Sit down with the letter and read through it. It'll take you 14 minutes or less. It is indeed a brief letter. And I think Peter's Peter, by being brief and succinct here, he actually was more effective than if he had written a lengthy letter, a really long letter, to the people who were suffering. Because remember, suffering people, which is who were Peter's target audience, when people are in pain, how much do they want to read? How much do they actually want to sit down and dwell on something? It's not that long at all. When we're in a good mood, we might have the ability to listen more carefully. We might have the ability to read more. But when we're in pain, when we're suffering, when we're greatly distressed, if you're really distressed about something, how often can your mind concentrate on what you're reading? How often does it suddenly flick to whatever it is that is the oppressing problem in your life? It's pretty much every minute, if you're like me. And so Peter knows this, and so to achieve his letter of being an encouragement and achieve his letter's purpose of being one that testifies to God's grace, he made sure that he was brief. And so I think that was the first way that he made sure that his letter's purpose would be accomplished. The second way is my second main point this morning. The purpose of the letter was achieved with help. The purpose of the letter was achieved with help. We read in verse 12 about a man named Silas who helped Peter. In verse 12 we read, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This man, Silas, helped Peter with his letter. And so we can see that Peter did get help with it. He didn't do it on his own. He had the help of this man, Silas, who was such a help that he actually says, I regard him as a faithful brother, that he is a faithful, trustworthy person. Who is this man, Silas, though? Well, it's very much likely that it's the same Silas that we read about in the book of Acts. There is a Silas who pops up quite a few times in the book of Acts. What is he? He's a member of the Jerusalem church. When they have a council, he is a part of that. He's also the missionary companion for Paul in Syria, Asia Minor, Macedonia, and Thessalonica. He travels around with Paul as a missionary partner. 
He taught with Paul in Corinth. And so he had this major ministry of helping apostles. And so it's not surprising then that he would be the same Silas that Peter is mentioning here. He helped the apostle Paul. So it's not surprising that then he would be helping the apostle Peter here and getting a mention for helping Peter in writing this letter. But the other reason why I think Silas would have been really helpful for Peter is not just because he's used to helping apostles out, but because he also has a history of being a persecuted Christian. We read in the book of Acts about Silas what happened to him in Philippi. We read, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates in Philippi ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. That's in Acts chapter 16, verse 22 and 23. What happened to Silas in Philippi? He was severely flogged thrown into prison prison, and then guarded carefully for being a Christian, for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And that was the, wasn't the only place that he actually got persecuted that we read about in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, in Thessalonica, so not Philippi, a different place, Thessalonica, it says, but the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Thankfully, they don't find Paul and Silas, but that's pretty scary stuff. Have you ever had some people stir up a mob, create a riot, all over trying to catch you? Even if you aren't caught, that's pretty distressing stuff. And it was so distressing that we read later in Acts chapter 17, verse 10, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. He had to leave the city. He had to abandon everything that he had done there because of being a Christian. And so we read in the book of Acts that Silas was indeed someone who knew what it was to be persecuted as a Christian, which then means he would have been helpful to Peter as he writes a letter to persecuted Christians. He would have been able to give advice and say, yes, Peter, that's a good thing to include to people who suffer. And, or he might be able to say, oh, Peter, I don't know. Um, I kind of don't think that that's particularly helpful. As someone that has been severely flogged for being a Christian, someone who's been in prison, um, that wouldn't have been necessarily helpful. We don't know exactly how he helped him, but he would have been able to help with that, uh, that suffering angle that Peter is driving at with his letter. Then the question is, well, how did he exactly help with that letter? Well, it's not given to us in this passage. We just read in verse 12, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. How might Silas have been our help to Peter? He's got the background of persecution. He's a help to apostles in the past. But how did he exactly help? Well, firstly, he might have helped as a scribe. We know that the New Testament writers did use scribes because in Romans chapter 16, verse 22, a letter written by Paul, we suddenly read in verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Who wrote... Romans. Paul. Well, who's talking in verse 22? Tertius. Who's this guy Tertius? He's Paul's scribe. And so it may have been that Silas actually wrote down the letter that Peter dictated to him. And some people think that Peter's letter, and 1 Peter is the Greek is just a bit too nice for a person who was a fisherman, and so they think that Silas actually cleaned up the Greek, and, uh, and made it a bit better. I'm not sure I agree with that, but that may have been how Silas was to help, by just simply writing out the letter. Another way that Silas might have helped is by editing the letter, by proofreading it. As I said, he might have cleaned up the Greek. Um, we often know that if we want to communicate effectively with others, it is helpful to get someone to edit our work. 
and Silas might have done that. Or thirdly, Silas may have helped actually write the letter. He might have contributed content to the letter. Does Silas write letters? Yes. In the New Testament, we actually read letters written by Silas. Who wrote 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians verse 1 says, chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And then 2 Thessalonians, we read chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Silas may have actually helped write the letter. I don't think that's um, necessarily true because his name doesn't appear at the beginning of the letter like uh, he does with Thessalonian uh, letters with Paul and Timothy, but he may have had a major contribution as he helped with Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. A fourth way that Silas may have been helpful is by simply carrying the letter. We've got to remember that the postal service at the time of the New Testament wasn't as good as it is today. Um, When you popped a letter in the mail, uh, it didn't necessarily get there, and it wasn't a very secure system at all. And so if you wanted to communicate with someone, you actually usually got someone that was going who you trusted in that direction and to take the letter to the people that you wanted to receive it. And so it may have been that Silas actually took the letter from Peter to the people who needed to hear it. And so it was a great help in that way by being a secure depository for the letter. Also, Silas may not have only carried the letter, but he may have actually confirmed the contents of the letter when he got to the people. So he brought the letter to the people, and then when they heard what the letter said, he actually explained and helped with the letter's content. And so we see that, we do that even in our own lives. If you want to send some valuable communication to someone, then you often will send someone to confirm the letter's content. The best example is when you have some sort of uh, legal matter. Who do you send as your representative? You send a lawyer who may have written instructions about what you want to communicate with the other party, but there is a lawyer there to help with facilitate the process. And so Silas may have done that because we know that he did that in other parts of uh, the world as well. When uh, the Jerusalem Council got together in Acts chapter 15 and sent a message to Gentile brothers, they actually sent Silas along. We read in Acts chapter 15 verse 27, we read, We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. And we see that they're commended, Silas, particularly if this afternoon you want to read about Silas, read Acts 15. Read about what the Jerusalem Council thought of Silas and how he was really helpful for explaining the letter's content. Because we've got to remember that letters, when you write something, people can misinterpret what you say. This is why emails are so dangerous. Because people write off this email, send it off, and then the other person reads it in such a way that they actually think that you're being hostile to them. Whereas if they had someone that was sent from you and said what you said and explained the email, they may not take it as badly. And so it may be that Silas didn't just take the letter, but he also explained the letter to the people that it was sent to. Ultimately, we don't know what Silas did, how he was a help, but we know that Peter's letter was helped by Silas and that he actually accomplished these purposes through using Silas, that Peter accomplished those purposes by using Silas. So what can we learn from this? That Peter was able to communicate effectively by being brief and by using help. 
Well, I think we can learn from Peter's what Peter used to accomplish his purposes. And that brings me to my third main point this morning. The purpose of the letter can be given by you, so be brief. <laughs> the purpose of the letter can be given by you, so be brief. We still need people today to do what Peter did. We need people to encourage persecuted brethren as they suffer. Christians suffer today. In that book review you just heard about in England, that's a Christian group suffering by getting their bank accounts removed, by having their bank accounts closed because of their view. That is discrimination and it is suffering to that group. We need people to encourage such people, and that can be you. You also should be testifying to God's grace, as Peter does here. Testify to people that Jesus Christ paid for the sins of others. People need to hear that. Christians need to hear it, because they easily forget it, particularly if they're being persecuted. If, a per- if you're suffering as a Christian, it's very easy to forget about God's grace and all that he has done for you and focus only on the bodily pain that you experience or the mental distress that you're experiencing for being a Christian. And so you need, we need people to come along and testify to God's grace, to Christians, but also to non-Christians. They need to hear about the grace of God. And so you need to be doing that. And if you want to do that, how do you do it effectively? Well, I suggest you take a leaf out of Peter's book and learn from his example. How is that? By being brief. By not rambling on and boring people, packing information in. And that includes not just in your communication via letter, but also in speech. Be very careful what you say. Make sure you make the most of the opportunity by putting the right amount of information in there and not getting people to go to sleep. Now, I, you may be saying you, you should be practising what you preach, Joel, this morning because I'm already kind of drifting off and it's already been too long. But I could tell you that I could actually preach for an hour quite happily here each Sunday morning. And I actually keep it to half an hour, even though some people at church say, you really should preach a lot longer, Joel. I try to keep it to half an hour because I understand that not everybody would be able to tolerate an hour sermon. And so I want to particularly be sensitive to people who haven't been used to coming to church as well, that they don't get their patience stretched as I preach. I try to pack the information in, but be brief in my approach. I try to be brief to the people so that they will understand before they drift off and fall asleep. But being brief is hard work because it's just easy to ramble on, particularly when you write. I said before that it is hard to write long letters, but it sometimes it's very easy. Some people seem to not be able to stop when they write an email. They just go on and on and on and on and on, and they never actually consider that the other person might be quite bored out of their brain by the time they get to the end. It takes hard work to say, what am I going to say and what am I going to leave out? But it's worth it. If you're going to accomplish your purpose of testifying to God's grace and being an encouragement to others, then make sure you're very careful about what you say. Because remember, they get easily distracted. And so you've got to overcome that by making sure you get your point across as quickly and as easily as possible. But what else should you do if you're trying to encourage people and testify to God's grace? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. The purpose of the letter can be helped by you. The purpose of the letter can be helped by you. 
Silas's are still needed today to help those who are encouraging people and testifying to the true grace of God. Remember, Peter is the primary one in here who's doing the testimony and, and testifying and the encouraging. But he has the help of Silas. And you also can help people out as Silas did as well. How? Well, if Silas was a scribe, you can be a scribe. How? Not by writing things out, but by making sure you can print stuff. You can print it on your own computer, or you can pay for the printing of things like this very letter. You can help Peter communicate today. Somebody has helped Peter communicate today by making sure that pretty much everybody here in this room has the copy of the Bible. How has that happened? By Silas's printing this book. And you can do that as well. Every time you give a Bible to someone, you're being a Silas. You're helping communicate the message of God across. You're encouraging someone. You're testifying to God's grace. And you can do that. You can pay for that. You can distribute them yourselves as well. You can um, get pay for tracts and take them to people. You can do that in many ways. You can copy other people's letters or make sure and, and get that across like Silas did with Peter. You can also help edit. Check someone else's emails or check their communications. I've got to say that my wife is a wonderful service to me in this way. Pretty much any major writing that comes out, that's the, well, you might not say they're major, but the church bulletin, that, that message that you read each week in the church bulletin, Jill's eyes have, glanced, have passed over that, and she picks up lots of typos, lots of errors every week, pretty much. She'll say, well done if I didn't get anything wrong, and that rarely happens. She'll find some apostrophe in a wrong spot somewhere which would distract someone from reading and the message might be lost. Any, any sort of communication from the church, I write emails from time to time to, uh, uh, to members or even lengthy letters to members, Jill looks at those. And she's a great help to me. But you can be a help to other people as well. If you have a sensitive thing to write to someone or a sensitive thing to say to someone, it's worth getting another Christian to hear what you're going to say so that they then can help you say, and they say, yeah, that's not a good idea to say that. And it's worth having them look things over, not just for typos, but for actual content, as Silas did as well. And then you can also not only do the printing of the message, scribing it down, but as I said before, you can distribute the message. You can actually make sure that the, the message gets into other people's hands. How can you do that? How can you help that happen? Well, you can pay people to actually put the Bible or tracts or other religious material into other people's hands. We had someone come and speak from the Gideons who put Bibles into hospital drawers and into, um, into motel room drawers and give them to chaplains, give them to school kids. How does that happen? It's by the help of Silas's, by people giving money to the Gideons so that they can print the Bibles and then distribute those Bibles. So you can actually make sure that the message gets out there, that it's distributed. And that missionaries, whenever you send a missionary overseas, whenever you pay money for a missionary to go overseas, what are you doing? You're being a Silas. You're helping someone take the message overseas. And then finally, another way that you can be a Silas is by confirming the message. Confirming the message of others. People are needed, Christians are needed to confirm the message of other Christians when they encourage people and testify to God's grace. You can see a Christian testifying to God's grace and actually be supportive of them. How can you do that? Well, you can support local church pastors by paying for them to 
be able to do what they do, but also just by showing up and sitting there and supporting the message. You sitting here Sunday by Sunday actually support my message. When a stranger walks into the room and hears me testifying to God's grace and sees other people sitting down in the room listening to it and sort of nodding along and drinking it in, they go, oh, it's not just him that thinks that. It's all these other people here. Maybe I should listen to what he's actually saying. Because it seems that there's other people who actually care about what he says too. And so by sitting here on Sunday, you are being a Silas. You are supporting the message as it goes out. But even in casual conversation with others, have you ever seen a brother or sister witnessing to a non-Christian and you've just stood back and let them go for it without actually helping out at any any, uh, point? That's a terrible thing to do. Chime in. Agree with them. Say, yes, that's right. Jesus Christ really did come back from the dead. Yes, Jesus Christ really did die for sinners. Join in the conversation. Support your poor brother or sister who's doing probably a pretty good job like Peter was, but he needed Silas to help out. We can all be Silas's in lots of different ways. So do you do so? Do you... When you try to communicate with others, when you try to encourage Christians and testify to the true grace of God, do you do this? Do you do it succinctly? Are you very careful about how much you say and what you say? Give thought to what you're going to say to people or do you just let your mouth run away with you? That's dangerous stuff, letting your mouth just ramble on. You're probably not going to do much good. Do you try to be succinct and brief? And do you help others? Do you use Silas's and do you be a Silas yourself? Be supportive of others and help others testify to the true grace of God as they are trying to bring people into the kingdom and keep people in the kingdom by telling them to stand fast in the grace of God. I encourage you to do so. Do you do it? Let us speak with our God now. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter and we thank you for how it instructs us even as to how we can testify to your true grace and be an encouragement to others. Lord, we pray that you may help us to be careful with the way that we speak. May we indeed be as brief as we can so that we do not tire people out and so that they get the message that we want to convey to them. Lord, we pray that we may also use Silas's around us and be Silas's. We pray that we may help others communicate about the grace of God. And we pray that you may use us greatly for the advancement of your kingdom, just as you used Peter and Silas 2,000 years ago. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.